You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. BC has set another grim record. More overdose deaths in the first six months of any year. Nearly 1,100 people died from toxic drugs since January. And the yearly total is expected to break the record too. As Aaron MacArthur reports, advocates are begging for a major change in drug laws. Every purple sash representing a father, a brother, a daughter. This display on Robson Street, just a fraction of the more than 10,000 people who have died from an overdose over the last seven years. My daughter, Ola, died in 2015 and nothing much has changed. A public health emergency was declared in April of 2016. Since then, overdose deaths have only accelerated. That first year, according to the coroner's service, 993 people died. Fast forward to 2022, and more people have died in only the first half of this year. Today I'm angry because we were in the same place we were six months ago, which is the same place we were six years ago when the crisis began. The images of this public health crisis have often been of the downtown east side, people dying on a street corner or in an alley. But the coroner's report shows virtually the same data as last year and the year before that. Most deaths are men between 30 and 59. And according to the chief coroner, 80% of all deaths happen inside people's homes. The narrative for so many decades has been that people who use drugs are bad people, and we have to change that narrative. They are people very deserving of help and support. While the calls for physician-prescribed safe supply have grown stronger, many are also calling for more treatment options. The Minister of Mental Health and Addiction issued a press release Tuesday touting the work that has been done. The children's and youth representative arguing the government has a long way to go to meet even the basic standard of care. Government has taken some important steps, but it's not enough. The journey to access services is often full of closed doors and impassable obstacles, and we're nowhere near where we should be. Advocates say without significant changes to how the public health emergency is being addressed, there is no reason to expect different outcomes. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Uh, Keith, the coroner said it. Many people still mistakenly think this mm-hmm. is a mainly downtown east side problem, oh. but... The data shows that is not the case. No, it's affecting every community uh, across the entire province, Chris. And this is sort of a depressing data we get uh, every month from uh, uh, coroner Lisa LaPointe. The story isn't changing. It's getting worse. Take a look at just uh, the first uh, few months of this year where the highest number of deaths recorded. No surprise that Vancouver and Surrey, the most populated uh, areas, have the most deaths. Uh, Greater Victoria, third. But look at Abbotsford and Camelot. So nowhere near the number of people, but yet they are experiencing high deaths as well. On a per capita basis, per 100,000, uh, these towns tell you even what the story is. It's not a downtown east side story. Lillooet is now has the highest per capita death rate for uh, January to April. Mission, 18 deaths there. Uh, again, second in terms of per capita. Terrace, Caribou, Chilcotin, Powell River. So small towns and communities are having very high death rates as well. Uh, here, these are not necessarily addicts. These are recreational drug users. The drug supply is simply so toxic right now, it is not safe to use drugs. And that's one of the big issues where uh, 
proponents like Lisa LaPointe are calling for better control of the drug supply to make it safe. We're not there yet. And one of the more troubling statistics today, when the public health crisis was declared back in 2016, the average number of people dying every day was 2.7. Uh, this first six months of this year, that number has now risen to six. Three times what we saw back then almost. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much, Keith. Appreciate that. Well, it's been one week since the city of Vancouver made an attempt to clear the tent city on Hastings Street because of fire concerns. Today, advocates for the homeless condemned the action, calling it short-sighted and pointing out no real housing solutions are on the table. Grace Key reports. This is a crisis created by every single level of government who refused to offer people safe and dignified housing. That is people's right. One week after the city of Vancouver began the arduous task of removing structures along East Hastings Street, tent city residents and activists are speaking out. They give us bins to put our personal stuff in, our most important stuff so that it's safe. We're treated just like those bins. Garbage. I'm an addict. Proud to be a f***ing addict. Yeah. Right? They're denying us because we're addicts. The Lord East Side, they're denying us a right of personal safety. The removal of structures was to begin with the highest risk areas. One spot was in front of the Regent Hotel. But on day one, things got violent after an unrelated police call about a man destroying computers at the nearby Carnegie Centre. A crowd formed, turning an already tense situation into a melee. The front of the Regent is still crowded with tents, and now city workers appear to be concentrating efforts down the block. Fire inspectors are out every day in the area. Progress is being made, but Vancouver Fire says it's been slow. Because a lot of these SROs are just unlivable. Third world conditions exist down here. People have to be somewhere. If they're not on Hastings Street, they're going to be on Main Street, they're going to be on Water Street, they're going to be on Granville Street, they're going to be on Adnac Street or Commercial Street. I mean, where do you think people are going to go if you move them? They have to go someplace. Vancouver police say they have no role in tent removal and continue to respond to calls in the downtown east side. The city did not respond by deadline. Grace Key, Global News. Another painful reminder of just how bad the crisis in emergency services in B.C. has become. A Surrey woman in her 70s, badly injured, forced to wait the entire night for an ambulance to arrive. Now she's hoping to make it a voting priority in the provincial Surrey South by-election. Catherine Urquhart reports. I don't know where they were coming from, Edmonton, Grand Prairie, where... A frustrated Jackie Joyce says she recently waited more than 10 hours for an ambulance. It was about 9 p.m. when she tripped and fell in her Surrey home, breaking a hip. 3.30, still no ambulance. Called again and, you know, twice they said the ambulance was on its way. At 3.30, that was the probably the last call. And finally at 7 o'clock in the morning, they showed up. The 72-year-old had emergency surgery at Peace Arch Hospital. When this call came in, there were a number of life-threatening calls going on at the same time. We're deeply sorry for for the pain that uh, this caused for the patient. Joyce says she's speaking out publicly as she wants the issue of ambulance delays to be front and centre before the Surrey South by-election September 10th. And then, you know, kicking in 
and then the anxiety that you call the ambulance and you know the first round they don't show up 10 hours is not a reasonable length of time. NDP candidate Pauline Greaves said she was unavailable for an interview. In an email, she said, The B.C. NDP government has provided the ambulance service one of the largest funding lifts of any part of our health care system. This means more dispatchers and hundreds of new paramedics, but there's much more to do. As MLA for Surrey South, I'm going to continue to press the government uh, to follow along with what our suggestions are, and that is to focus more on wellness for frontline uh, first responders. That means more recruitment, more retention. It is a complex issue, but we know what needs to be fixed. We know it's not just the ambulance service system. We know that it's universal health care. We know that we need more access to mental health care, and it needs to be accessible, not just more of it. We need to make it so that people can afford it. Jackie Joyce says the system urgently needs fixing. Something must be done quickly. Yes, you know, we're shortage of doctors and nurses. The ambulance is created for emergency. The Surrey senior is now on the mend and is hopeful she won't need to call for an ambulance again anytime soon. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Heat warnings are being issued once again for a number of regions across the province, including Metro Vancouver. And senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a closer look. Christy, how hot's it going to get and for how long? Well, the key is that it's not going to last as long as the past uh, heat sort of waves that we've had in the region where we had four or five days. We're really only talking about two, maybe three days for those of you in the interior. Here's a look at the temperatures we're expecting. So starting tomorrow, we'll see areas away from the water across the south coast potentially come close to 35 degrees. And we could see that again on Thursday. So it's Wednesday, Thursday, the two hottest days. Whereas in the interior, as I mentioned, there's some areas that could continue to see that heat into Friday. The key is that the overnight lows Wednesday night and Thursday night will remain quite hot, so uncomfortable for people for sleeping. And the key areas we're watching that could approach that 40-degree mark, Chris, are sort of Lytton, Cash Creek, Lillooet, those sort of areas that tend to get that type of heat. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much. And we'll check in later uh, for the extended forecast as well, Christy. Wolves escape at the Greater Vancouver Zoo with conservation service officers and police in hot pursuit. The mystery over how it happened and the lingering risk to the community. Next on the News Hour. A rolling barrage. The bikers bringing better mental health to those who serve in the military and other first responders later. And the source of a fuel slick fouling the West Coast. How it's threatening our resident killer whales coming up. Right now, though, visitors to the Greater Vancouver Zoo were turned away this morning with no explanation. Now we know it's because more than a dozen wolves either escaped or were let out of their enclosure, and at least one wolf is still unaccounted for. Sarah McDonald has more from Aldergrove. What is going on at the Greater Vancouver Zoo, and is the public potentially at risk, with one or more wolves potentially on the loose? We are waiting for definitive answers to those questions, but here is what we do know. The Greater Vancouver Zoo is now a potential crime scene. Whatever happened here is now under investigation by Langley RCMP. The zoo closed to the public all of Tuesday. Provincial officials say at least one wolf is still on the loose. It is unclear in what capacity, and if it's believed to have escaped the confines of the zoo, 
itself. The Ministry of Environment has been briefed on this incident because conservation officers were dispatched to help recapture those escaped wolves. On Tuesday morning, at least some of the wolves who live at the zoo, nine adults and half a dozen cubs, were found outside of their enclosures. How they broke free in the first place is said to be suspicious and due to what the zoo calls, quote, malicious intent or human activity. Langley RCMP are now looking into unlawful entry and vandalism, with officers on scene Tuesday looking into what appears to be a hole that was found in zoo fencing. As for those wolves, the zoo itself is releasing very little information on their status or the number that escaped and those which have since been recaptured. Zoo officials also not confirming how many of the animals, if any, ever ventured outside of the boundaries of the zoo itself in Aldergrove, saying only in a brief written statement that a, quote, small number of remaining wolves remain unaccounted for, yet insisting the public is not at risk. Sarah McDonald, Global News in Aldergrove. And coming up, starting over in Kelowna. Great opportunity to learn English. The ESL class is helping Ukrainian refugees that's bursting at the seams and hoping for some help. Also, unlikely survivor, the long recovery for a young woman who lived through a plane crash. Traffic is steady in both directions here at the Patello Bridge this evening with just a little bit of leftover volume northbound out of Surrey after clearing an earlier crash near Scott Road. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Ewison in Global One, high above the Patello Bridge. Inflation rates in Canada cooled in July, dipping to 7.6%. The dip follows a nearly 40-year high of just over 8% back in June. Statistics Canada says lower gas prices helped with household budgets. Consumers spent almost 10% less on gas in July. That's the largest monthly decline since 2020. Well, with the return to school just around the corner and households still feeling financially stretched, Global's Anne Gaviola shares some expert advice on how to save on back-to-school shopping of so many things we use every day, many households are looking to save and stretch dollars during an expensive time of year, back-to-school shopping. Personal finance expert Natalie Douglas will be bartering where she can, which doesn't cost anything but time, and squeezing as much use as possible out of last year's items. We are reusing his backpack, I'm reusing his water bottle, we're also reusing his lunch containers as well to save on cash. According to the Retail Council of Canada, 86% of households will make back-to-school purchases. I have twins that are entering grade two, and so I'm very much in the apparel category. They need new shoes, they need new clothes. 56% are buying clothing, nearly a third books and music, while one in five are shopping for electronics, 17% food. Personal finance expert Sandy Young recommends using all the discounts you can find. Use a cashback credit card, combine that with coupon codes from your retailer, then add on a cashback website. And this way you can earn some rewards or cashback while you are shopping. For big ticket items like electronics, she suggests buying refurbished items that come with guarantees they'll work and lower prices. You definitely want to make sure that you are going with a reputable seller. Experts agree making a list is key before you start shopping at all. 
I definitely planned ahead. I knew all the sizes I needed to get. I had a list of actually all the items I wanted to buy and I stuck to my list before I even entered the shop. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. The Language Academy and College in Kelowna is doing its part to help Ukrainians fleeing the war transition to their new life in Canada. The institution is squeezing the new arrivals into existing classes to help them learn English and hoping for a partner to expand the program. Global's Claudia Van Emmerich reports. They are eager to learn a new language in a new country. It's a great opportunity to learn English, uh, to improve my English uh, uh, like, uh, better. Stefania Miroshnashenko is one of 19 Ukrainian newcomers learning English at the International Gateway Language Academy and College in Kelowna. Before I came to Canada, uh, it was in the end of May. I barely speak English. The Gateway College voluntarily stepped forward to help the new arrivals, creating some additional spots and making room in existing intermediate English classes where students have a basic knowledge of the language. We've been trying to offer services as much as we can, uh, and the idea was that if we had eight students in a classroom, we might be able to just add uh, two or three more uh, students within that classroom, so there wouldn't be much of a cost differential there. But with more Ukrainians arriving and demand for English lessons growing, the college is now hoping for some corporate sponsorship for an additional teacher and the creation of a class that caters strictly to those who don't speak a word of English. Denis Storozhuk with Kelowna Stands with Ukraine says the not-for-profit organization is grateful for the college's support and hopes donations can help launch the new course. We are working together to open the program for beginner level students and for that we need funding. Uh, so we are going to start fundraising campaign tomorrow and uh, it will go until Ukraine Independence Day, which is uh, next Wednesday, uh, to raise $5,000 to open uh, this course for 12, um, uh, 12 Ukrainians on a beginner level. Something that will benefit the local economy and perhaps even help during a significant labor shortage in B.C. and the rest of Canada. Bankers, we've got marketing executives, we've got landscape designers, we've got carpenters, we've got a whole, just a, a wide uh, area there of, of employees that are looking for opportunities. We just have so many skilled um, new immigrants that are coming to the school right now and we're trying to offer them the best opportunity that they can to make that natural transition into uh, employment here. Ilona Vashuk is a Ukrainian photographer anxious to master English and start working. We need to know English because we want to live here and uh, we want to start our business here. But the first step to that is knowing how to communicate. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Coming up, Donald Trump's enduring influence, how he still dominates the Republican Party despite the controversy and alleged crime that haunts him. Plus... I want to work. I want to be in school right now, but I can't. Why this young woman is losing faith in the healthcare system. Good evening. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. This is southbound traffic through Richmond on Highway 99 on the approach from Blundell. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $15 million. Lotto Max dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Despite a number of bipartisan investigations during his presidency, Donald Trump's power over his party remains nearly unbreakable 18 months after he left office. And even in the wake of a new scandal, 
His influence is putting yet another Republican foe's political future in doubt. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. She's a lifelong conservative who, in the wake of the January 6th riot, became a firebrand to restore Republican values. But Liz Cheney's disdain for Donald Trump may send her towards the exit sign. Look at this Liz Cheney. Is she unhinged? Tuesday's primary in Wyoming will likely end her time in the U.S. House. The state voted for Trump twice. His policies were and are very, very popular here. President Trump was an excellent president. For- Cheney's opponent has towed the line on false claims of election fraud. A loss for Cheney would make her the eighth Republican who voted for impeachment to resign or be forced out. She chose to be courageous, uh, to be a true conservative, and put the Constitution uh, ahead of one person who was Donald Trump. Liz Cheney has been unrelenting in her quest to seek accountability for January 6th. The dam has begun to break. It's cost her credibility within her own party. But to protect her, Democrats actually urged their voters to switch parties. What's at stake for the country uh, is its entire direction. Her fate is almost certainly locked in place by a base unwilling to be swayed, no matter the scandal or conduct. That just says the strength uh, of Trump's grip on the Republican Party. And from a democracy point of view, that's terrible. Keen to deflect from his own conduct, Trump's influence can be almost hypnotic, turning eyes away from the matter to focus on the process. The FBI has been specifically targeting conservatives in this country. It's unclear if the public will see what led to the search at Mar-a-Lago. A hearing on the affidavit's release is set for Thursday. She went against Trump. But for Trump's base, the why might not even matter. Their loyalty is rock solid. And the reason anyone who challenges him risks becoming political history. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. A Victoria woman living in constant pain is struggling to find treatment or even a diagnosis for her illness. She suspects she has endometriosis, but she can't find a doctor to confirm that. And as Krista Dow reports, she's losing faith in BC healthcare. For the past 10 months, Zoe Swadden has been in constant agony. It feels like burning, stabbing, twisting pain in certain spots. Sometimes it's dull, sometimes it's like so sharp that I, I want to pass out. Blankets, pillows, sleeping mattress. The 23-year-old Victoria Clothing, resident vitamins, now on a road trip to Kelowna General Hospital in search of a doctor. Trips to the ER, women's clinic and urgent care on BC's south coast have provided no answers and no relief. ER doctors believe she has endometriosis, where the tissue inside the uterus grows outside, causing excruciating pain. But before she can get treatment, she needs a family doctor and gynecologist to properly diagnose. I have mental breakdowns every single day because I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go. I'm kind of, I've kind of lost hope in the healthcare system. Swadden says if she can't get a referral in Kelowna, she'll continue on to trail. And if that's unsuccessful, she'll head to Alberta. I know I shouldn't have to leave province, but 
if that's where I'm going to get the help, then that's where I'm going to get the help. The need to get a referral is a practical problem that we may be able to assist this particular patient. And in the broadest sense, we need to both support our existing family doctors, build out team-based care, you know, and we have challenges in that regard. But for Swad and her, challenges are becoming increasingly difficult to manage. It's at the point where I really want to just stop and give up. But I know that I can't do that if I want to get better. And return to her previous active lifestyle. I'm really dreading the hospital visits. Krista Dow, Global News. Still to come, the rolling barrage. Fantastic. Absolutely good time, yeah. Doing what they love to ease the burden of PTSD. And the sunken fishing boat fouling B.C. waters and threatening critical marine life. And the slick mission to clean it up. The Canadian and U.S. Coast Guards are working together to tackle a serious fuel spill near Victoria that could threaten the West Coast's endangered southern resident killer whales. Kylie Stanton shows us how. It's just below that hill there, which is Roach Hill. So close, you can almost see it from shore. Just 25 kilometers east of Vancouver Island, crews are working to contain fuel and oil leaking from a sunken fishing boat. The situation hitting a little too close to home, especially for the southern resident killer whales. I mean, they're already vulnerable. The U.S. Coast Guard was notified the 15-meter Aleutian Isle was sinking just off San Juan Island near Sunset Point at around 5 o'clock Saturday evening. The vessel initially settled 30 meters below the water's surface, but has since shifted to a depth of 60 meters, presenting some logistical challenges for divers. But what's most concerning is what went down with it. The crew that abandoned ship reported 2,500 gallons of diesel fuel approximately aboard the vessel, with about 100 gallons of other oil products aboard. While diesel evaporates fairly quickly, it also creates an oil sheen. Roughly 640 meters of boom have been laid, not only to contain it, but prevent the material from making its way into nearby bays. The scent in the air uh, is decreasing. No levels have been harmful, uh, and no additional sheen within the last 48 hours has been observed. Still, the potential impacts on the 74 remaining southern resident killer whales are very real. If they come into contact with the vapors uh, of a high-concentrated uh, uh, diesel slick, that can be very dangerous, very toxic, uh, and uh, that's something we should be very worried about in this case. The pod was last spotted 50 kilometers away from the sunken vessel and appeared to be heading west, something experts say is just a matter of luck, at least this time. This is a wake-up call. We're getting ready for the big one, God forbid, if a Trans Mountain tanker were ever to go down here. It could be catastrophic. The crew is working to remove large fishing nets that have broken free from the vessel while securing the integrity of the ship in order to pump out the pollutants still on board. Whether or not the wreck will be removed from the whale's critical habitat has yet to be decided. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The evacuation order for Apex Mountain Village has been rescinded as of noon today. Residents will still be on evacuation alert Due to the ongoing Karameas Creek wildfire, the regional government is asking that non-residents or property owners continue to avoid the region. 
Structural protection crews have been to properties in the area to ensure that they are fire smart and safe for returning residents. An evacuation order remains in effect for 25 properties on Green Mountain Road, Sheep Creek Road, and part of Highway 3A. And it's not going to get any easier for those firefighters out there because the heat is really going to crank up in the next little while. We'll get the details now from Christy. Thanks so much, Chris. You're right. I mean, with the heat, that can cause problems. But one good news is that with an upper level ridge that we're going to see, that can reduce the winds, which could help the fire situation. We've seen a reduction in the number of fires over the last couple of days. And today we saw that again, which is great news. We're certainly trending in a better direction. But as you mentioned, the heat is on. Yes, a heat warning. Here's a look at the areas that are going to be impacted. So it includes the north and central coast inland regions, parts of the south coast, Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, House Sound, Sunshine Coast, and the east coast of Vancouver Island, north of uh, uh, Victoria, so Nanaimo, Comox, and up towards Campbell River. Particularly, though, the Fraser Canyon and the Thompson region, where areas like Lytton, Ashcroft, could be approaching 40 degrees tomorrow and again on Thursday. Okanagan region also impacted with Kelowna, expecting about 35, but down towards the Suyus could see up to 38 degrees. These are the conditions out there right now, so we're talking about still heat today, but it's going to surge tomorrow. 35 degrees away from the water in Metro Vancouver. Some of the key areas, Pitt Meadows, Maple Ridge, out through the Fraser Valley, Langley for example. 35 tomorrow and again on Thursday. Tomorrow night is when we're going to see the heat at night. So tonight, not too bad but tomorrow night and Thursday night will be very warm indeed. And for those of you in the interior, tomorrow and Thursday, the two hottest days, it comes down a bit on Friday but it's still in that heat warning criteria level where some areas could be still approaching that 35 degree mark so tons of sunshine enjoy it just be really careful and looking after yourself water sunscreen all that great stuff make take some time to be in the shade and as i mentioned two days but we are going to see a slight chance of showers late thursday into friday Overall, though, Chris, we have no significant rain in the forecast, and that's a bit of a concern when we talk about the forest fire fight as well. But this was the sky in the Vernon area today. Thankfully, compared to what we were dealing with last year, thankfully, conditions have been a lot better. Thanks to Rick Stahl for sharing that gorgeous shot with us. Back to you. So nice to see that blue sky out in that region. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, finding something unexpected in your food at a restaurant is usually a bad thing, but not this rare discovery by a family dining out in Delaware. Check it out. They found a rare purple pearl in their clam appetizer. Those are usually worth between five to a thousand dollars, five hundred to a thousand dollars. Not bad for a $14 dish. And even luckier, since they almost sent the plate back because they didn't care for the bell pepper garnish. I'm sure they're glad they kept it. And I hope they left a big tip, too. All right, there's Double J uh, standing in for Squire in sports. A uh, special day in Cranbrook, Chris, as Bowen Byram and the Byram family in the city got to celebrate the Stanley Cup today. Yes, there's the unforgettable thrill of winning the Stanley Cup. Then there's the pure joy of sharing the cup with everybody. It's TV for BC time. We're going to hear from Bowen Byram just ahead in sports. Look forward to that. Thank you, Jay. Also tonight, a growing family of bikers on an annual ride back to mental health. That's later. All right, Jay Janauer is here now. Uh, you and I both know sometimes it's very hard to put a very bad loss behind you. Oh, boy. We're going to see <laughs> if the Whitecaps can do that tomorrow. Thanks, Chris. Evening, everybody. Vanny Sartini of the Vancouver Whitecaps 
still apologizing for that dreadful effort against the Galaxy on the weekend. Nine games left to go for the Whitecaps and getting thumped 5-2 when you know that every point is so important right now. Does little to improve the confidence. Caps are back at it, though, tomorrow night at home against Colorado. A full three points, pretty much a must following Vancouver's blowout loss. Uh, that uh, I think it's good that we have the possibility after three days to bounce back and uh, to go on even on the pride of the players and uh, and try to have a response uh, after the the disaster that that we did last week. Uh, each game is, is a final right now. Uh, each team, each rival we play against is fighting for a playoff spot. So I mean, each game for us is a playoff game basically. It wasn't good in LA. We we were so bad especially in the first half so tomorrow is a chance for us to to uh, do it better do it right than better than in la and uh if we win tomorrow we are in the playoff spot for the third straight week nathan rourke is one of the cfl's top performers of the week joining rourke for performer of the week is brian burnham you knew this one was coming following bc line's impressive comeback victory against the calgary stampeders the pair connecting for 165 yards, which included two big third-down conversions and a touchdown. Not surprisingly, the quarterback and wide receiver finishing first and second in voting. For Rourke, it's his fifth performer of the week nod in eight weeks of action. He once again shattered his Canadian single-game passing mark with 488 yards, 246 of those coming in the fourth quarter alone. His 39 completions also tying a career high that was set back in week three against Toronto. Burnham celebrated his 100th career game in style. Eight receptions, 165 yards, the second highest total of his career, and a 53-yard fourth-quarter touchdown, which was the first of two key third-down catches to spark the comeback. Lions practicing this week. They're in Saskatchewan on Friday. BC solo second in the West. We'll see if they can reel in the Bombers, who suffered their first loss of the season last week as Montreal beat them. Autumn Brown Van Open Tennis Tournament is completely sold out. Eugenie Bouchard, Vashik Pospisil, and Rebecca Marino all on the court at some point today. All three also dealing with their fair share of injuries. Vashik had back surgery a couple years ago. Back pain flared up again earlier in the spring. That shut him down for a few months. Rebecca Marino had a foot injury. That lingered for her for a good year and a half. This after she returned from a five-year retirement. A week ago, though, Rebecca cracked the top 100 in the world rankings. Both players thrilled to be back home. It never gets old coming home. Um, you know, there are only so many times throughout your career you can play in front of all your friends and family. And, and um, yeah, so it's, it's always special being here. My brothers are coming out. My, all my best friends are, are, are here. So it'll be it'll be fun atmosphere and, and a little bit of added pressure, but I, but I like it. I enjoy it, and I feel like, uh, you know, it, bring, it brings the best out of me. How's the body feeling? Body's good. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I've been I've been pain free for the last uh, three four weeks now, which is great. So I'm just trying to you know build some momentum, dropping the rankings a bit, which is fine. But but uh, I got to battle through it, and body's good. So um, you know, knock on wood. But but um, yeah, I'm good to go. This is uh, where I grew up, where I still live. I love playing in Vancouver. So the Pac Band Open is back after a couple of years hiatus. It's uh, it's such an exciting time to be here. I'm really proud of cracking that top 100. Uh, it was some, one of my goals from the very start and my comeback, uh, something I kind of kept close to my heart. And so to finally have, have achieved that this year, uh, I've sort of said it's a bit of a monkey off my back. It's a bit of a relief because uh, it's something I wanted so, so much. Uh, so now I can sort of start aiming a little bit higher and achieve other goals.
Eugenie Bouchard's first single match in 17 months following shoulder surgery. She told us yesterday that her expectations very low and that she just wants to get back on the court and hit a tennis ball today again. She did that, but not for long. She was taking on Ariane Hartano. The rust was clearly there for Jeannie. She dropped the opening set 6-2. Match lasting just over an hour, but an hour and eight minutes. Quick exit for Eugenie Bouchard. She's gone in straight set 6-2, 6-2. It's a long road back ahead of her, but she's not ready to call it a career. It's been almost 10 years since that magical Wimbledon run. Vashik Possible, so by the way, on the court right now. And then Rebecca Marino comes up a little bit later on. And yes, we saved the best for last. There he is, Cranbrook's very own Bowen Byron, bringing the Stanley Cup home. The former Vancouver Giant getting his day with Lord Stanley's mug, and he shared it with everybody in Cranbrook. There was so much excitement about the Cup coming to town. They needed a lottery to get inside the rink to have your picture taken beside Bowen and the Cup. There's the uh, Cranbrook Colonels. He wanted to make sure that they got a picture with the uh, Cup as well. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, obviously, growing up and playing minor hockey here, it, uh, it's special to, to have it here. Um, the people, the community get to see it and um, chat with some people, so it's been a fun day so far. You know, in small towns, there's a lot of people to help out with uh, minor hockey and everything. Um, I had a lot of good coaches growing up, uh, so just very fortunate to grow up in Cranbrook, such a rich hockey environment. Um, to bring the cup back home is a really special experience, and I'm, I'm very grateful that I got to have it this early on in my career, and um, you never know, maybe I'll be lucky enough to do it a couple more times before I'm done. Yeah, congratulations to Bowen. Fine young man. Fine mm-hmm. young man. Good BC boy. Yeah, and, and great that he brought it home to share. Almost everyone family. got to get their hands on it. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, up next, the rolling barrage helping Canadian warriors heal. The news never stops. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. It certainly does not, especially these days, Chris. We're going to take a closer look tonight at the plans to create Vancouver's densest community yet. The Squamish Nation is building 11 towers in seven years on land near the Burrard Bridge in Kitsilano. Of course, with anything that big comes opinions and rumors. So we will hear directly from the Squamish Nation about its vision for the site and how they say they're trying to calm fears of existing area residents. Plus, a string of overnight arsons in Surrey, and we have surveillance footage from one of them. See if you recognize the suspect at 11, Chris. Look forward to that. Okay, thanks very much, Jordan. Now, the rolling barrage cross-Canada motorcycle ride is making its way across the country, supporting veterans and first responders who are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. The riders are expected to cross into B.C. tomorrow, and the end of the ride is scheduled for Saturday in Vancouver. More now from Jay Durant, who gets his motor running on This Is B.C. The ride. Oh, it's fantastic. Absolutely good time, yeah. For six consecutive summers, former soldiers, veterans, and first responders have traveled coast to coast, bringing awareness to post-traumatic stress disorder. They suffer trauma uh, exponentially, and that's on a daily basis, cumulative trauma. So I wanted that, that family of, of people to get together. Scott Casey was just 17 when he joined the Royal Canadian Regiment. He struggled when he came back to Canada after serving as a peacekeeper in Bosnia in the early 90s. My drinking at that time was off the charts. It was one of the ways to cope. There was no treatment available for us back in the 90s, and uh, we had to learn how to survive without it. 
He suffered with PTSD for 16 years before finally being diagnosed and getting the help he needed. Slowly things got better. So I think there's about close to 70 odd, maybe 80 odd bikes now. Casey has made it his mission to help others. That's how the Rolling Garage was born. Served in Bosnia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. On the open roads, hundreds and hundreds of Canadians coming together to support each other through their personal struggles. It's a huge network of family now, so everybody gets that chance to, to stay healthy. And Each morning, dedicating the day's ride to a friend and colleague who suffered. I don't think he ever sat down and got diagnosed. At many stops along the way, locals come out to say thanks and let the riders know that they care. The towns now are lined with people coming out and waving, and, and, and it's for that, there's a, there's a healing process there for the, the people on the ride, too, when they see that. The barrage has been so successful that Casey is now helping launch other awareness rides in Canada. He never realized this idea would grow so strong and help so many people. I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but halfway through in 2017 when we were on the run, somebody said, see you next year. And I was like, yep. <laughs> and here we are. It's uh, six years later and, uh, you know, the run's still going. So I'm, I'm very pleased. Jay Durant, Global News. All right. Good luck on the ride. And uh, if you happen to see him on the highway, make sure you give him lots of room. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something you want to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay. It's really easy. This is BC at globalnews.ca. All right, last word from Christy on the weather before we go with a heat warning in effect. Thankfully, just two days, Chris. So areas away from the water could be approaching 35 degrees. Most areas will be in the low 30s. And then if you're near the water, about 27 degrees. Not too bad for sleeping tonight, but definitely tomorrow night and Thursday night will be a tough one as temperatures range from 16 to 18 degrees. And keep in mind, that temperature, the low temperature is likely felt or more, most likely felt around 5 or 6 a.m. So it takes a while to drop to that low, right? And so we're normally sleeping in temperatures that are even warmer than that. All right, no back to you. doubt. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Final word, Jake. Good luck to Little Mountain at the World Series tomorrow. Two o'clock tomorrow against Australia. Awesome. All right, have a great night, everybody. Thanks for watching. This is Global News. I.